That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine doctor. I get to consult people around the world via telehealth, and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum, Ketotarian, and the newest book, Gut Feelings. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, we actually have brand new telehealth patient options now open, and lots of free resources there for you as well. You can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. And listeners of The Art of Being Well, we're giving away free signed books no matter when you listen to this episode every single month. All you have to do for a chance to win is head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Art of Being Well there. Tell us what you love about the show. And you can leave your Instagram handle in the Apple Podcast review itself or you could take a screenshot of your Apple Podcast review and message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. And every single month, my team and I will be going through the messages on Instagram, as well as the Apple Podcast reviews themselves and randomly picking winners every single month. And then we'll reach out to you. I'll ask which book you want me to sign and we'll send it out to you. All right, good luck. Let's get to today's guest. Her name is Ariel Laurie. Ariel is a lifestyle, wellness, and health influencer in the digital space. About a decade ago, that was far from the case. After nearly losing her battle against addiction, Ariel decided to turn her life around by relentlessly pursuing health and happiness and sharing what she learns along the way. In 2016, she made her Instagram debut under the pseudonym The Blonde Files, which eventually led to the creation of her website and hit podcast under the same name. I've been lucky enough to be on The Blonde Files a few times. Go back and listen to those episodes. And since then, Ariel has leveraged her visibility and unique personal story to explore a variety of lifestyle and wellness topics, including gut and hormone health, recovery, mental health, nutrition, and beauty. Let's get right to it. This is Ariel Laurie's Art of Being Well. Ariel, my friend, nice to see you. I, we just started saying before we started recording that I was on your podcast back in the day. You were on the podcast, I think, before even Zoom was a thing. It was pre-pandemic. 
So maybe four years ago, right when I started. Mm -hmm. So I don't even think we were face to face. I think we were just audio, but I feel like I've been following you for so long and following your work for so long. So I feel like I know you. I don't feel like this is the first time that we're seeing each other. I feel like we're old friends. Yeah. Yeah, Same. (laughs) same. I'm looking at your work from the sidelines. I'm such a fan. Thank you. And I'm happy that you're on the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Likewise. So let's talk about, I have so many things that are going through my mind of what I want to tackle. I know recently on your podcast, you talked about orthorexia, which Mm -hmm. you were talking to one of your guests about it, which I think is such an important thing to highlight. We've talked about it a little bit on the show. It's something that I talk about clinically with my patients a lot when it's needed to check on the patients and really get them like they're staying on a path that's filled with grace and lightness and not go down that rabbit hole that can so easily happen, Mm -hmm. especially when you have food sensitivities. Yes, And food can sometimes not be your best friend when you have a flare up. So can you, for people that are newer to this conversation, because I've never really had kind of a deeper conversation about orthorexia, can you talk about that? Because I know even yourself, you went through maybe a more what would call a stricter way of eating to now more of a flexible way of eating. The floor is yours. Wow. Okay. Well, this is a very broad subject for me. I mean, I have been sharing about this and kind of on my own wellness journey since I started my Instagram account in 2016. And Mm -hmm. I definitely don't have it all figured out, but I feel like I've gone through all the phases. And definitely when I started my account, I say this a lot, but I thought that wellness meant having abs. I thought it was all about (laughs) how you looked on the outside. And so I pursued that through the only tools that I had at the time, which were really intense, high intensity exercise and quote unquote, clean eating. Mm -hmm. And at that same time, I was dealing with a lot of physical things. I had recently gotten sober. I had a lot of gut issues. I think some of the residual things that my body was dealing with Mm -hmm. after being addicted to drugs and alcohol for a decade were kind of coming up. I had hormonal issues. I had a large ovarian cyst that I had to have removed that was causing havoc in my body. And I think as we tend to do, and I know you have a lot of experience with this, we start eliminating things. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard because I was navigating on my own for a while before I found the right practitioner to work with. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, this person is gluten-free, so I can't eat gluten. And this person is dairy-free, so I'm not going to eat dairy. I got to a point where I was not eating gluten, dairy, corn, soy, eggs, green beans, flax, refined sugar, like a very broad random list of foods that I thought were triggering some of my symptoms and some of them were. And this is why I think it's such a difficult thing Mm -hmm. for people to deal with because it's hard to not get into a restrictive mindset when it comes to food when a lot of things are causing your body to have a reaction. Mm -hmm. But I got to a point where it wasn't only the orthorexia, it was the over-exercising, the counting macros, Mm -hmm. the obsession with eating clean and, you know, the quality of everything that I was putting in my body that brought me to a point where I really hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And I kind of compare it to my rock bottom with my drug and alcohol addiction too, Mm -hmm. where I had to be in enough pain Mm -hmm. that I was then willing to look at my lifestyle and be willing to change. And I kind of had to unwire a lot of the new wiring that I had in my brain. That was, this food is bad. You know, I just, I had a lot of rules around it and it was very hard because with drugs and alcohol, 
you don't have to drink and do drugs every day, but you have to eat every day. Mm -hmm. And when you have this narrative around food and food becomes this scary thing and kind of the enemy that you're at battle with, it's really hard to then sit down and do that three times a day or whatever it is. So that was kind of my journey. Like I hit rock bottom and then I had to just completely change my approach. Yeah. So what was that? Did it happen overnight? I mean, obviously, I think the answer is no to that. You said it's still a work in progress. But I guess how did that flexitarian energy come into starting to kind of refresh what you did for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Mm -hmm. I love the flexitarian, I have to say. It wasn't really overnight. It was kind of that rock bottom where I didn't have the energy to work out. Mm -hmm. My mental energy was all going towards my food and my macros and what I was eating, what I was putting in my body and the energy that I was expending. Like I thought that counting macros and eating really clean was taking the guesswork out of eating and that it would actually free me up to do other things, but it was very obsessive. Mm -hmm. And so I got to the point where I couldn't work out. I was really fatigued. I was really nauseous. I just didn't feel right. You know, I think that we all have this intuition in our bodies if we actually listen to it. Mm -hmm. I was starting to meditate at that same time. So I was kind of learning how to tune into that a little bit. And I was like, something doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think this is, I don't think this is how wellness should feel. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, Liz Moody, she came on my show and she said, if wellness is making you miserable, it's not wellness. And that was exactly (laughs) what my life was like. So I just kind of decided like, I need to surrender and start from scratch. And at that time, I then found a nutritionist that I was working with who specialized in gut health and could help me navigate the things that I was dealing with. And, you know, I had to stop tracking macros and that I did really incrementally. If anybody has done that, done any kind of calorie counting, any kind of restriction, I think that follows you around for a long time. Mm -hmm. I could still tell you the macros of whatever you're eating, you know, but at this point in my life, it doesn't affect me anymore. Mm -hmm. But at the time I was like, okay, breakfast, I'm not going to track and I'm not going to do the gluten-free, dairy-free, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And I think I just had this fear that if I didn't track everything, if I didn't know exactly every single thing that I was putting in my body, something would happen. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't even know what I thought would happen. I've tried Mm -hmm. to unpack that. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't trust myself. And I think all of those things break the inherent trust that we have with our bodies. Our bodies know what they need. You know, we have cues, we have hunger cues. And I think so many of us are taught not to listen to that and not to trust that. And then, of course, you can have dysbiosis, you can have autoimmune, you can have all these issues that you deal with every day that kind of disrupt those cues. And so it gets really hard and confusing. Mm. So the best place for me to start was at zero. So I just started from scratch and I had this period of trial and error where I had to really feel what felt good and what didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And what worked for me then, you know, four or five years ago at this point doesn't work for me today. And I've had things flare up where I do have to eliminate gluten. I really don't eat dairy because dairy doesn't love me back, unfortunately. And, you know, we're constantly in motion. So it's not like you get to this static point and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. that's it. And this is how it's going to be for the rest of my life. So it's it's been trial and error throughout, you know, the, the phases since then. But I learned how to like really be in my body mm-hmm. and 
I feel like I have an intuition with it. I don't know if you have this, yeah. but like sometimes I'll open up the fridge, decide what I'm going to make, and I'll just have this feeling like that's not going to feel good for me right yeah. now. So I, think I don't know if that answered your to, question. <laughs> 100% it did. So would you say today, I mean, that you, I mean, food is a place of, source of joy for you now it's not the sort of arduous restrictive thing mm -hmm. so can you take people through because i i love your videos of what i ate in a day mm -hmm. it's one of my some of my favorite Thank videos you. of yours yeah so just take people through like what did you eat today Ooh. okay so today i had a handful of macadamia nuts and my matcha latte i do that every morning then i had some oats with a little coconut yogurt, some chia seeds, some blueberries, some cashew butter. And then right before I came, I had some leftovers from what I made last night, which was chicken thighs, bone broth, jasmine rice, and broccolini. Super simple. I love doing the bone broth rice with a little bit of ghee. I feel like it's very nourishing. Mm -hmm. And that's usually what I do. I usually have lunch as my leftovers from dinner. Mm -hmm. And then for dinner tonight, I don't know what it's going to be yet. I've actually, I went through a phase this past summer where I was ordering two times a day, maybe like Postmates. And even when you're ordering from, you know, a, a healthy restaurant, you don't actually really know exactly what you're getting. And mm -hmm. I know that oftentimes they use seed oils and things that can be kind of inflammatory. Mm -hmm. And I got food poisoning in October, which was a godsend. It was so traumatic. I've never <laughs> had it so bad in my life. I thought I was dying. But after that, I was like, I got to get back to cooking. And there's something so cathartic about cooking. It's not just the food itself. It's the ritual of it. It's the getting yeah. off my phone at five o'clock mm. and doing something where it's almost meditative and yeah. like the process of making a meal and eating with my husband and having that time. It's all of it. Like it's all there's so many benefits beyond what it is that I'm eating. So I love that. So do you and you and your husband eat the same way, more or less? Mm, meh, not so much, <laughs> but I've learned how to modify things in ways that work for both of us. So I before I would like make two totally different meals. Actually, I also tried to be the food police and nobody wants to be married to the food police. I'm telling you, everybody listening not sexy. So <laughs> I realized like, okay, I'm making like, all my patients now are like, uh, <laughs> all right. and I tried to take things out of his diet. I'd be like, no, don't eat that. Like that is not the dynamic that you want in your relationship. Yeah. So if your partner doesn't eat like you, or you think they could be a little healthier, just add things. I added his green juice in the morning. I add extra vegetables to whatever the dinner is. And that's the way that I kind of subtly influence him without him even really realizing it. Yeah. But for example, I made like tacos the other night. I made his with, I think, corn tortillas, some cheese, and then I made mine in like a burrito bowl and did some vegan cheese. So just little modifications like that, that. where we're not sitting down and he's like, why are we eating different things? Like mm -hmm. there are ways that you can to easily modify. make it work. Mm -hmm. I think that's so practical, especially I, I think of new patients where I, I had this conversation of like, are they on board to kind of more or less do the same thing or not. And it's not practical for most families mm -hmm. to cook two different meals and just like double yeah. the time. So modifications are just so important. And another great tip, like you said, is just adding things instead of working and focusing. And this, I would advise really anybody, right, too, to yeah. their own journey, focusing on all the things you can add in and all the things you quote unquote can't have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a really moderate approach. Like there isn't really anything that I 
quote unquote won't eat. Yeah. You know, like I said, I don't I don't eat too much dairy because it just doesn't agree mm-hmm. with me. I really try to limit my sugars. I don't do a lot of like added sugars, processed sugar, stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I do have dessert. And, you know, if I want a slice of pizza, I'm going to have a slice of pizza. But I do find that the more things like vegetables and healthy fats and, you know, as much fiber as I can, things like that, I can kind of crowd out the other stuff. Yeah. And that was really how I stopped restricting. Like mm-hmm. I went through a period when I was dealing with the orthorexia where I was crazy binge eating like I because I think I was so restrictive during the day that then after dinner I was like I'm starving and I would eat like a pint of halo top with quest bars microwaved in it like because I thought that was (laughs) healthy and like no wonder I was having crazy (laughs) gut issues and everything but when I stopped restricting anything and it took a little while to kind of balance out Mm -hmm. I stopped having cravings and I don't binge eat and I don't overeat and I stop before I'm really full and it's just like I was able to again like just tune into my body I love that so (laughs) good if you listen to the podcast you know my day job is running the telehealth center and you know that a major part of what we do in functional medicine is integrating the best of all worlds when it comes to healthcare. And something we talk a lot about on the show is that mental health is not separate from physical health. Mental health is physical health. So when we're looking at labs and we're looking at the underlying drivers of, let's say, things like inflammation, one of the things we're looking at is not just physiological drivers of inflammation, like underlying gut problems or environmental toxins or hormonal imbalances, but we're also looking at the mind-body connection and how situational things in people's lives or unresolved trauma from their past or both, how those mental, emotional, spiritual things will impact their labs or impact their biochemistry. So one of the things we oftentimes do clinically is integrate with other specialists to provide people the best quality care. And in many ways, I had one patient say, you're like a wellness quarterback. And I, I, I like that analogy. So one of the things that we do to integrate is therapy, talk therapy. And a company that we love in this space at the clinic is Talkspace. Talkspace makes mental health care accessible and affordable. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within only 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions, just like we're in telehealth with functional medicine, they're in telehealth for mental health care. You get virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home. There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist so you don't have to wait for your next session. Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and be a guiding light in your life. Talkspace can help with any specific challenges you might be facing. It's the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and so much more. Talkspace is secure and private using the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information and complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Talkspace is affordable and in-network with most major insurers. 
As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash ABW. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash ABW to get $80 off of your first month and show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash ABW. As a functional medicine doctor, I see so many telehealth clients who experience brain fog and mental fatigue. One of my favorite herbs to support them is Bacopa. This neurotropic herb contains bacocytes, a bioactive compound recognized for its memory-supporting properties and ability to support calm, focused attention. Bacopa is even better when paired with Gotucola, another neurotropic herb which has been shown to support healthy function of the brain and your nervous system. I'm excited to share Banyan Botanicals Mental Clarity Tablets. This nerve tonic contains Bacopa, Gotucola, and other brain-supporting herbs in one effective formula that supports cognition, mental performance, and concentration. If you're ready from a break from feeling mentally sluggish and cloudy, give Mental Clarity a try. Banyan has a generous 90-day return policy so that you have plenty of time to feel the effects and decide if it's right for you, which I know that it will be. I couldn't be more impressed by the quality of product that this company produces. Banyan Botanicals carries over 250 plant-based products that are organic, fairly traded, and sustainably sourced. You can save 20% on my favorite products, including Mental Clarity, when you shop at banyanbotanicals.com slash willcole. Just go to B-A-N-Y-A-N botanicals.com slash willcole and enter the promo code willcole at checkout. We've been talking about this phrase orthorexia and I start, started out the conversation with it, but we didn't really define it, I guess, for people mm-hmm. that are like, what are they talking about? I mm-hmm. think they know, I know what they're talking about. So how would you define orthorexia personally? I would define it as kind of an unhealthy fixation with the quality of what you're putting in your body or again, like that labeling of -hmm. of different foods because you could be eating organic, non-GMO, whatever. But if you have that labeled as a bad food and that's Mm -hmm. on your no list, Mm -hmm. I would consider that orthorexia too. Mm -hmm. So just this obsession with clean, Mm -hmm. healthy eating. Mm -hmm. But again, it's hard because- we do want to be mindful of what we're eating and putting in our bodies, but yeah. it's like there is a spectrum, I think. Yeah, there is. I 100% agree with that. It exists on a spectrum, and it's. Che- I think it's constantly checking our motives. Of, mm-hmm. Is it a, coming from a place of nourishment or restriction? And that's very two different energies to go into a meal with mm-hmm. and to, you know, grocery shop with and eat out with. Yeah. Um, you mentioned loving cooking and it almost being like a meditation for you, this sort of act of stillness in, in, in a way. What's your favorite thing to cook right now? Hmm. I would say I'm going through a phase where I'm making these kind of Greek-inspired turkey meatballs. This is so random. I don't even, I, I land on these recipes that then I make every single day for three months until I can't eat it anymore. And then I move on to something else. But after I had the food poisoning, that was with seafood. So unfortunately, usually I just eat seafood and not a lot of other kinds of meat, but that was out. So I had to get a little creative. Mm -hmm. So these kind of Greek 
flavored turkey meatballs. And then I do sun-dried tomato, a little bit of feta or vegan feta if I want, Kalamata olives and chop that all up and saute it into kind of a nice sauce. And I'll do that. And then I'll like roast broccolini or asparagus. And that's kind of the bulk of it. And then sometimes I'll make that bone broth rice okay. as well. Mm-hmm. So what do you say to somebody that's they they know they love the idea of maybe cooking for themselves and not depending on the Postmates and the Uber Eats as much or eating out as much, but it's daunting for them. Mm-hmm. Any pro tips to sort of demystify cooking at home more? It can definitely be daunting. I think the more preparation you can do, the easier it is. So if you can sit down on a Sunday and say, okay, these are the meals that I'm going to make. If you can make things in bulk, even like you can cook, you can roast vegetables and have those for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I try to do that if I can. That's why I like the meatballs, the chicken thighs. Those are things that, like I said, I'll have for dinner. Then maybe I'll have some leftovers for lunch. Maybe I'll still have some vegetables for that dinner the next night. Like you can get creative with it. Mm-hmm. But I would say maybe find a couple core recipes that seem easy and go grocery shopping or do Instacart or whatever, the more prepared that you can be, the more successful you'll mm-hmm. be, I think. And I think it's just, I think, I don't know. It, it, it is daunting. Like, I wish I had a better answer. <laughs> no, it's okay to be real <laughs> And with so it. many days I'm like, oh, I don't have time. But that, but I just do it because like I said, the benefits are so good. I feel so much better. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing obviously about eating out is like tons of sodium, tons of oils and that can kind of accumulate, or at least it did for mm-hmm. me. And so I just feel so much better cooking my own better. food. Mm-hmm. Are there any like game-changing kitchen utensils or things that you think, oh man, this makes my life so much easier having? I think the Instant Pot is like one of the greatest inventions ever <laughs> because you can do everything. You can get some chicken, you can get seafood, whatever you want, throw it in there, throw the vegetables in. You can like do everything all at once. Yeah. So big fan of that. And it's so easy. Like the chicken thigh recipe that I made last night, that took 25 minutes in the Instant Pot. So during those 25 minutes, then I'm roasting vegetables separately and making the rice and it's all done in 25 minutes. Wow. So, and that would feed you know, I made a lot. So that would feed like a family of four. So back to the question about it being daunting, you can find recipes like Mm -hmm. that, that are, you know, it tasted gourmet and like it took a lot of effort, but it really didn't. So what was the original question? Does any other kitchen? Oh, any other kitchen hacks? I love an air fryer. I know a lot of people are like, it's not different from an oven. It is different from an (laughs) oven. So tell me how it works. Cause (laughs) I don't even, I've never even been around an air fryer before. Oh my God. Well, I don't know exactly how, I don't know the mechanism of how it works, but you can make anything in there. Like I've actually never made fish or anything like that, but I love doing vegetables. I love doing things like carrot fries. I know people are like carrot fries. Let me tell you. So you can actually do those in the oven and then put them in the air fryer after to get them really crispy and they're so good. Like it just crisps things up oh, in ways. So you're crisping things, but not using oil. You just yeah, using no oil. Heat I mean, sometimes air. I'll spray like a little bit of avocado oil just to get like a little dusting. Yeah. But you don't have to. I'll also do sweet potato fries, where I'll do them in the oven Love and then take them out, fries. put them in the air fryer so that they get really crispy around the outside. Yes, so good. I know people are right now making. It was like trending on TikTok. I think making some kind of egg frittata in there. So you put some foil down and then crack a couple eggs, throw some vegetables, whatever you want, push it in, turn it on for 10 minutes or something, take it out. And it's 
done. It's pretty good. Okay, so we all needed Instapot and an air fryer. (laughs) Yeah, I would say Instapot first because you can make soups, you can make stew, you can make rices, you can make proteins, whatever it is. Like there's so many options. What else do I like? I make my matcha in a magic bullet. Okay. Who knew? (laughs) (laughs) I was visiting my parents a few years ago and I was looking for a milk frother and she didn't have one. My mom didn't have one, but she had a magic bullet. I was like, I have not seen this in so long. And it makes the best matcha. I love that. So, yeah. <laughs> Great. Where do you get your recipe inspo? Like, are you going on TikTok? Do you have certain, like, websites or apps or books that you like? So, a lot of people ask me this. And it's kind of funny because usually I'll just think of something in my head that I want to eat. And then I'll come up with it. Mm. But when I go into, like, kind of a recipe creative rut, if I'm doing a lot of recipes for Instagram and then I have nothing left over creatively... I will use like the New York Times app. They have good recipes. I love Tegan Half-Baked Harvest. She has really good recipes. Where else? That's kind of it. Those are like the two go-tos if I'm looking for something that I'm not just kind of developing myself. I actually try to tune out a lot of the noise on social media because I don't want to be making what other people are making. Mm. Um, I don't scroll on social media really ever because I just try to like stay in my creative energy instead of seeing what everyone else is doing because that will subconsciously creep in and then I'll be like oh yeah I do want to make that like cashew mac and cheese like I've made it a million times that everybody is making you know Um, so some of the viral recipes are great and there are I mean I love TikTok there are some great cooking hacks and and recipes on there definitely if you're a beginner and you're looking for things it's a great resource I think but usually I'll just kind of randomly think of something like oh I would love to have for example, you know, meatballs with mm-hmm. sun-dried tomatoes. And I don't know. I don't know where that came from. Maybe my trip to Greece <laughs> last year. <laughs> I love that. So you basically, you know what you want and just have to figure out yes. how you're going to do it. Yeah. My dad taught me how to cook when I was little. And I think that that just kind of carried over into my life. I think I was fortunate that way because he's a cardiologist. He's super busy, but he always came home and would make dinner no matter what. And so I grew up having fresh home-cooked meals. And he taught me my first thing ever, I think, were scrambled eggs when I was like seven. And and it definitely does influence you later in life. You know, yeah. I think that people who don't have that kind of struggle mm-hmm. with not only food choices, but mm-hmm. also how to cook and, and the habits around eating as well later yeah. in life. So I love that. I have to say, one of the most overlooked things when it comes to optimizing somebody's food medicine plan at the telehealth center is they're not having enough protein. You need protein for so many different things, brain function, your mood, your blood sugar stabilization, building muscle, obviously so many things. This is one easy, delicious way to optimize your protein. Clean, simple eats is so creamy and smooth. It's the best tasting protein I've ever had. There's absolutely no chalkiness with this protein powder. This protein powder is a powerhouse of nutrition that offers a range of health benefits for your body. Unlike many protein powders on the market, this formula maintains all the bioactive compounds just like nature intended. It also contains a digestive enzyme blend to deconstruct the protein into usable amino acids that the body can actually absorb. They have 26 delicious all-natural flavors. You can't go wrong with any of them. I love the Simply Vanilla. I'm a creature of habit. I love this. I have it by itself or I'll add peanut butter to it. It's like a peanut butter milkshake. And lately, 
I, even though I'm a creature of habit and it's like, if to me, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I'll just stick with my vanilla. <laughs> but they have this seasonal pumpkin pie protein shake. So it's like a pumpkin pie milkshake. It's so freaking good. So I, I go between the Simply Vanilla, I add the peanut butter sometimes. I love the new pumpkin pie one as well. They have other unique flavors like chocolate peanut butter, coconut cream, and even snickerdoodle, y'all. One of the best things I love about Clean Simple Eats is their high ingredient standards. Their protein powder has 20 grams of grass-fed whey protein with no artificial ingredients. It's non-GMO, it's gluten-free, and it's third-party tested. Visit cleansimpleeats.com, use code WILLCOLE at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's 20% off your first order at cleansimpleeats.com. The active ingredients found in pre-mixed vitamin drinks and kombuchas diminish sharply over time. But Karma's unique push cap protects vitamins and nutrients until you're ready to drink it, ensuring you get the full nutritional benefits. This is something that I just think is very innovative. They make drinking water fun and functional. Karma's new hydration kits combine everything I love about the brand's ready-to-drink line of functional waters with an enhanced level of convenience and customization. Each kit comes with a four-week supply of Karma push caps that can be fully customized, and Karma designed a new BPA-free reusable bottle specially designed for its patented push cap. Customers can choose from a combination of Karma's three existing functional lines to create their customized kit. Karma Wellness Water, it's like a multivitamin, multimineral, Karma Probiotic Water, you can get your gut health support and get your probiotics that way. And the Karma CBD Water, get the benefits of CBD in your water. They're basically elevating the benefits of water. You get the benefits of water and being hydrated, obviously, but then you can use the push cap technology to get the functional benefits here. No matter what you need, what you want for your wellness goals, they have something for everybody. Visit drinkkarma.com slash willcole for 15% off and free shipping on your first order. That's D-R-I-N-K-K-A-R-M-A.com slash willcole. Drinkkarma.com slash willcole for 15% off and free shipping on your first order. Do you, I mean, throughout, whether it's your relationship with food and your food journey or, and you mentioned your alcoholism and drug use and, like so much of you and I think why people love you so much is you are so vulnerable and transparent. Is that just who you are or does that take effort to, to go that, to be that vulnerable? No, I don't think it takes effort. I think when I started my account in 2016, like I said before, I was newly sober. I was two years sober at that time, but I started it anonymously. That's why I'm called the Blonde Files because <laughs> I didn't show my face and I was just trying to get in shape and I was posting my meals and my workouts and it just kind of took off and I realized I really loved doing it and I loved sharing what was working and what wasn't. And I think I think it's really actually kind of a testament to the sobriety aspect of it because I felt like when I was getting sober, there weren't other people to look to, especially my age. Like at that time, social media wasn't what it is now. And I was in my 20s and I was like, I'm going to get sober in my 20s. Like my life is over. I didn't see anybody like young and cool and living their life and having fun sober. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I really wanted to share that 
And I am careful, you know, it's not my whole life. Sobriety is not my whole life. It's a piece of my life and it's very important. But I wanted people to see that. And I think the same thing applies to my, for lack of a better word, journey with wellness. Mm -hmm. I want people to see that like we don't all have it figured out. And Mm -hmm. you are going to have triumphs and you're going to have setbacks and things are going to work and then they're going to stop working. And I, I just, I think I just always felt like I wanted to use my experience mm-hmm. to try to help other people in whatever capacity I can. And, you know, it's a little bit hard sometimes with social media. People like to be snarky and mean, and but I, I've been doing it for so long that it doesn't really affect me at this point. Is there point. a type of post that you know this is going to get the most snark? Yes. But, plastic surgery posts okay. by... Like I got my boobs done six months ago. Okay. People don't, I mean, people get very triggered. I'm not sure why by talking about plastic surgery, beauty procedures. And that was another thing where I was like, I've done a few things like along the way over the last 10 years. And I'm going to share about it because I think the climate right now around beauty is so, for lack of a better word, fucked up. Like Mm -hmm. people who young girls look up to are getting every single thing out there done and lying about it or not being forthcoming. And I think the beauty standards are really unrealistic and that's always been a thing, but Mm -hmm. I just think there's such a lack of transparency and, Mm -hmm. but those definitely get. Everybody has, has something to say. Yes. Unsolicited advice. Yes. Yeah. What's some of the craziest things you hear you've read or do you like not even read them anymore? For the most part, I don't read them. I will say the post that I did a few days ago about my boobs, I was like six months post-op. It was just like a a trending audio and I Mm -hmm. did it about my boobs. And I got all the breast implant illness Mm. people on the post, which I get that's valid. You know, Mm -hmm. if you experience that, I can't imagine. I'm sure it's terrible. And that's actually something I wanted to ask you about. But I kind of felt like, well, wh- what do you want me to do? Like, I just got them six you months rip ago. Them out right now yeah. In front of you. <laughs> yeah. And I know people's argument is like, we're, we're spreading awareness. And I'm like, but at whose expense? Like, go on your forum or something and talk yeah. about it. Not somebody who just put them in. Like, right. what do you want me to do? Go take Shaming them out. You, yeah. But other than that, like some other posts that I've done, I don't know. People will just, you know, say that I'm a terrible person for promoting surgery and stuff like mm. that. And I always say, like, I'm not promoting it. I'm just trying to like tell people what there is out there Mm -hmm. and educate people really when it comes to that. So is there any tips you have for somebody that maybe has a platform asking for a friend, (laughs) has a platform to how to handle that with (laughs) without taking it personally and be like, oh, I'm a good person. Like you're taking this the wrong way or whatever. Yeah. It used to really bother me because that's exactly how I would feel. Like, yeah. I'm a good person. <laughs> like, yeah. But I really think that people's behavior on social media is a reflection of them and what they're going through inside. And I cannot imagine somebody who's in a really good place getting on social media and trolling somebody else. Like, I just think it says so much more about them than it does about whoever the person is that's being Mm -hmm. trolled. And I remember somebody said, I can't remember who, back when I went through something, a a big, massive trolling that happened like years ago, Fox News posted something about my husband. They linked my Instagram, like red meat, and everybody came after me. And somebody said, the only thing worse than being trolled is being the troll. Mm -hmm. 
And so I try to remember that. Like now I have Reddits, you know, about how Reddit pages dedicated to how I'm a terrible person and I'm an idiot and all these things. I don't read them. People tell me about them. And I'm just like, you know what? That's actually very flattering that somebody is taking time out of their day to go log on to Reddit and sit there and write about me with other strangers. Like Mm -hmm. that sounds like a fan. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So I think just like maintaining that perspective, like sometimes you get that kind of punch in the gut feeling, but then just try to put yourself in their shoes. And it's like, eh, that yeah. doesn't feel that good to They're be that. probably hurting. Yeah. And yeah. there's such a level of the keyboard warrior syndrome, right? It's like, they'd yes. never say that to your face. No, no, never. And that was how I felt on the breast implant illness mm-hmm. thread, you know, and I talked about this on my podcast this week too, where it's like, if somebody had just met me, say we had never met before and we're having a conversation and I said, yeah, I just got breast implants six months ago. I love them. Would you say, well, actually those are toxic bags that you just put in your body and getting mine removed was the best thing I ever did. No, you would never do that. But there's no accountability and there's anonymity. Mm -hmm. And I think that combination Mm -hmm. has kind of empowered people to Mm -hmm. say whatever they want. And it's the culture, you know, people Mm -hmm. say something snarky and they get 500 likes on their comment and that's attention. And I think that Mm -hmm. that is that, dopamine hit that we get from getting a notification. I mean, it's all like kind of this compulsive behavior. Yeah, compulsive dopamine Mm -hmm. seeking. Yes. Yeah. If we could go back to your sobriety, and I'm I'm interested in this, and you tied that to rock bottom with food. Mm -hmm. So what, and I know you've been open about this, but I'd love to hear it myself. Like what was rock bottom like for you with drugs and alcohol? My rock bottom was very low, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I was living out here in West Hollywood. The boyfriend that I had been living with had moved out because he was like, this ship is sinking and I'm not going down with it. And when he moved out, I went into a months-long blackout. I was doing alcohol, Adderall, cocaine, benzos. During that blackout period, I don't really know what happened, but when I was finally found... Actually, the police came. They saw me unresponsive face down. They broke in, took me to the hospital. I got out, went back to what I was doing. And then my family flew out and in kind of a last-ditch attempt to save my life. And I opened the door. I had a grand mal seizure right then and there. Went to the hospital. They found meth in my system. Mm. So it was very bad. I'd been having seizures for probably consistently for a few months. But I had started having them about two years before I got sober. So it was pretty low. Yeah. Did your parents know anything was going on before then? They knew. So I went to rehab for the first time when I was 20 and I got sober at 28. And in that period of time, I went to rehab four times and detox once Mm -hmm. or five times. I can't remember. So they knew. And in that last few months, you know, I cut everybody off. I wasn't answering the phone. I wasn't texting anybody. I was just completely like in this empty apartment because the boyfriend had taken all the furniture. And I don't really know, like people ask, well, did you want to die? Like, I don't, I don't know. I didn't want to be doing what I was doing, but I didn't know how to stop. Mm. And that's a really shitty place to be. And I didn't want to ask for help again. So I think I had just kind of resigned myself to whatever was going to happen. But my parents did do a wellness check on me, which was why the police came Mm. and found me. And then when I got out of the hospital that time, they flew out. Wow. So. so you, when you say a month long blackout, there's, there's a month that you don't remember. 
Yeah, almost two months. So from December 2013 to February 22nd, 2014, total blackout. So at that point, you're just so consumed by the addiction that you're, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming, eating and drinking, but you just have no recollection of it. I don't think I was really eating very much. So I was, you know, 90 pounds or something. I was very thin. I do remember little bits and pieces. So I remember coming to on the floor snorting dust because I thought it was something else. I mean, I was definitely delusional. And then I remember at one point trying to stand up, but I didn't know what was up from down and I just fell. And Mm. I mean, and it was just like that, I think for months. I've heard before friends and people on the show talk about their rock bottom and how they got into recovery and into sobriety was and and how that differed from other points in their life when they went to rehab and kind of relapse was this complete surrender Mm -hmm. and this complete helplessness in a way where I cannot do it on my own. I cannot will myself out of it. Mm -hmm. Is that was that true for you? And I don't know if you could speak on that at all. Yeah, I think the first few times that I went to rehab, I did not believe that I had a problem Mm -hmm. or if I did, I thought that I would be able to figure out how to manage it. So, you know, when I first went to rehab when I was 20, I had not been drinking and doing drugs for that long. And I felt like, well, yeah, it's a little bit out of control, but I can figure out how to like rein it in, Mm -hmm. you know, like I just won't do Coke anymore (laughs) or I won't drink hard alcohol. Like I was always kind of bargaining with myself and then that would last like a day. Like I could never stick to anything. But the last time uh, that I got sober, I really felt like I was shit out of luck. Like I had no options. It was indisputable that I was a drug addict and an alcoholic. And I just remember, I don't remember the seizure, but I kind of remember waking up at Cedars and just feeling relief. Like it was over, you know, and I went to rehab. I was in rehab for six months and I remember surrendering there too Mm -hmm. because I was still clinging to things like, well, I I have to get back to my apartment, you know, my empty apartment and my car that I was voluntarily repoing because I hadn't made a payment in six months and I had no job and I had no friends, but I still felt like I was holding on desperately to whatever pieces of life that I had left. And, you know, thank God people were like, just let go, try something different, let go. And I remember exactly where I was when I decided, okay, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I'm going to take suggestion. You know, they have a saying in recovery, the gift of desperation. I was desperate. I had nothing. I had no money, no job. Like I said, no career, no friends, no place to live, nothing. So that was a really good place to start. And Mm -hmm. I don't think the difference was the rehab that I went to or anything. Like, I think it was just, I was ready. You know, alcoholism, addiction are unique in that they're really the only illnesses I think that you have to Mm self-diagnose. Like, you can't tell me and I'm an alcoholic. I have to believe that I'm an alcoholic Mm -hmm. in order to get better. Wow. Profound. So you... You, did you go more of the, I don't know if it's a traditional route of AA, and is that sort of the the step program that you went through? Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. yeah. So do you, I mean, what do you say to the people that are, you know, you, you're, a few years ago was in the media of California sober, right? Mm-hmm. Thoughts on that? Thoughts on that? I mean, because <laughs> what I've heard of the people that say it then go back and then, you know, I, I thought it was a thing, but it's not a thing. Yeah. Is it a thing? I mean, do you feel like someone that is an addict 
that's gone through those rock bottoms that they could be California sober? My opinion is no. I do think that there are different places on the spectrum. So I think true alcoholism, true addiction, the only solution is abstinence. But I think that maybe, I don't know. I don't even know if I think this. Let me say it and see if I agree with what I'm saying. (laughs) I think that sometimes maybe somebody can like try heroin like at a bad part in their life and get addicted to heroin because it's so physically addictive and have a problem with that and then get off that and maybe not have like the thing that really makes you an alcoholic or an addict. Like the the drug itself is so physically addictive that Mm -hmm. maybe that can kind of take a hold of you. But then there's the question of, well, why are you doing heroin in the first place? Like Mm -hmm. if you don't have, (laughs) you know, the mental thing, why are you picking up heroin? So as far as the California sober thing, I think I think it's just a precarious thing to play around with. I know for me, if I were to just smoke weed or something, my inhibitions are going to be lowered enough at some point that I'm going to want to go get that drink. And once I get that drink, then I'm calling the dealer and I'm getting a bunch of blow. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what's happening. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't really think that it works for a true alcoholic or addict. I think if somebody is a binge drinker, yeah, maybe they can, you know, deal with what's going on beneath the surface that is leading to that behavior and then maybe like find something else. Like Mm -hmm. I know people that were crazy binge drinkers in college and stuff and it was very destructive, but they're not alcoholics and now they do like occasional edibles, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. it. And they're very like, they moved on from that phase in their life. So I think it just kind of depends on the person. Yeah, you're right. That distinction between binge drinking and Mm -hmm. and, and true addict, addictive behaviors. Mm Mm-hmm. Up until now, there haven't been many supplements on the market to support mitophagy. It's something, a field of research that I'm fascinated by. It's the flushing out of old damaged mitochondria. As someone whose day job is really optimizing the health of people that are struggling with cognitive issues like brain fog or fatigue, or they're looking to support longevity, supporting mitophagy is a central part of my job. It's basically mitochondrial autophagy, if you're aware of autophagy. When I discovered this new compound called urolithin A, I was very intrigued. It's derived from pomegranate, but it's very hard, nearly impossible to eat or drink enough pomegranates. I mean, no, you wouldn't want to do that. (laughs) To get the scientifically proven therapeutic dose of this postbiotic called urolithin A. This is where a product called Mitopure from Timeline Nutrition comes in. It's something that I have every single day in my essentials, like my my supplement stack. I have two of these every single day. They've created three unique ways to get your daily dose of 500 milligrams of urolithin A in their product, Mitopure. They've got delicious vanilla protein powder that combines muscle-building protein with the cellular energy of Mitopure. They also have a berry powder that easily mixes into smoothies or just about any drink. And finally, the soft gels. That's what I have because I'm having it in between patients. It's very convenient. Personally, I would recommend trying the starter pack and you can see which forms of MitoPure is right for you. MitoPure is the first product to offer a precise dose of urolithin A to upgrade your mitochondria function, increase cellular energy, support longevity, and improve muscle strength and muscle endurance. It actually took 10 years of research to bring this potent product to market, and I'm personally glad it did because it really works. 
Timeline is offering 10% off your first order of MitoPure. Go to TimelineNutrition.com slash Will Cole and use code Will Cole to get 10% off your order. That's T-I-M-E-L-I-N-E-N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N, TimelineNutrition.com slash Will Cole. I recommend trying again their starter pack with all three formats. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Can we go back to the beauty and you mentioned plastic surgery, but what's the like the trending, like what's what's a game changing thing in the beauty world that you're just the most fascinated with right now and you think, you know, more people should know about it? Ooh. Trending in the beauty world. You mentioned world. these celebrities that will get stuff get things done and mm-hmm. not tell anybody. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that people are getting done? It doesn't have to be plastic surgery, but treatments, maybe mm-hmm. procedures. Well, when people ask about what are the best treatments and everything, even though I've had all these procedures, I do tend to say, like, if you take really good care of yourself, that's going to reflect externally. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big believer in hydration (laughs) and eating nourishing foods and sun protection within reason, like all of these things that are kind of common sense. And then I feel like you have a good canvas. And if you want to, like, get some Botox and do some lasers, I'm a big laser fan because I was a sun worshiper. I was like tan mom when I was a teenager (laughs) on the East Coast, like back in the early 2000s. It was like your tan was your personality. So I'm trying to, (laughs) I'm like, thank God, like what a time to be alive where you can kind of erase some of that sun damage. But as far as like the procedures that a lot of celebrities get that they don't want you to know about, there is like a endoscopic facelift that a lot of young celebrities do, like a lot of young model celebrities allegedly do. So it's kind of marketed as a beautifying procedure, like a nose job, because people say, well, why would a 20-year-old get a facelift? Mm -hmm. And the doctor who's really famous for doing this says, well, if people have fuller faces and they want to get that sculpted look, Mm -hmm. that doesn't really depend on age. It it depends on genetics. Mm -hmm. Do I agree with that? No. But that's what's out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think at this point, Almost everybody in Hollywood has had some kind of like brow lift, upper blepharoplasty. So removing the excess skin on Mm -hmm. your eyelids kind of brightens the eyes. Mm -hmm. Lip lifts are becoming really big. So they cut underneath the base of the nose and excise some of the skin and muscle and lift that upper lip to Mm -hmm. get some more tooth, tooth show, kind of a more youthful look. So these are all procedures that a lot of very famous people do. And it's, you know, plastic surgery now mm-hmm. is very advanced and can mm-hmm. really be imperceptible. So again, I'm not promoting it, but I'm just saying like, that's how people get away with it. And yeah. downtime with things like hyperbaric chamber and red light and all of these healing modalities, is really nothing. You can get a facelift and look fine two weeks later. Mm-hmm. So Got it. So in- injectables, like what, what are the ones that you feel like I don't know. Any pro tips for people that are interested in that? And some people are like nervous about the natural. People ask me all the time, like, what Mm -hmm. are my thoughts on Botox and fillers? To me, I think 
I haven't had any patient have any adverse reaction from them. They seem safe for the majority of people. And mm -hmm. I deal with more sensitive, reactive right. systems, right? But what are your thoughts on them? Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. <laughs> I feel validated. <laughs> so I do Botox or Dysport a couple of times a year. I think it's great. Filler, I don't do so much of only because I think it can start to kind of distort people's features. Mm -hmm. So I actually am a proponent of surgery at a certain point. I feel like a lot of people get into this trap of thinking that if they just get filler in their cheeks, it's going to lift their lower face. Well, it's not. And that's when chasing that, you can start to really yeah. start to look overdone. Whereas a really good surgeon can mm -hmm. take care of that. You know, if you're having excess skin and a lot of laxity, there really are not that many great solutions for that other than surgery. There are lasers and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but also these like radio frequency lasers that a lot of people are doing yeah. that are trendy, like Morpheus and Profound. Yeah. I think they can be really good for some people and really damaging for other people because they can kind of melt some of your fat. And mm -hmm. as we age, we want to keep our fat because that starts to mm -hmm. uh, recede a little bit, like after I think 28 or 32, somewhere around there. And then what was the other question? No, I think you answered it. So, oh, okay. so uh, lasers were, were the oh, next Oh, you were asking spot. Botox and filler. Oh, uh, yeah. I do want to add one thing uh, to that. Sure, sure. I did fat transfer a few years ago. Okay. So if people are looking for the most natural fat transfer, your you're fat. taking fat from one part of your body. And in my case, they took it from my stomach. I mean, you are going to go under twilight anesthesia. So there is that component to it. As far as the ingredients, so but, to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So they took the fat... Not a lot, but just a little bit from the stomach. They somehow liquefy it or something. I'm sure a doctor is listening. Like, that's not what we do. But they make it so that they can then inject it with a small needle in your face. Mm -hmm. There's no scars or anything. And, you know, with any of these things, you want to go to somebody really reputable. You want to go to a doctor. Mm -hmm. You don't want to go to a med spa, mm -hmm. especially if you're doing, like, your under eyes. You know, with filler also, like, don't do the Groupon. Filler seems harmless, but you can get vascular occlusion, like you can have necrosis. It can go really wrong. People can go blind. So you have to go to somebody really skilled. But fat transfer I did and I loved it. Loved it because it's a more permanent solution too. So instead yeah. of like trying to fill things which can look unnatural mm -hmm. and chasing that and spending money every six months, yeah. this is something that can last for years. So. Got it. Great tips. Mm -hmm. you, and, and lasers, you mentioned them being game-changing. Game mm -hmm. Sun damage, you mentioned Morpheus 8. Now people are interested in that. Like what where do you, what are the lasers people should look out for to maybe consider trying or look into, educate themselves mm -hmm. on? People ask me this all the time and I wish I knew more about each one. I only know what I've done. So I had really bad sun damage on my chest and I thought that was just my fate because of my, <laughs> my tan mom to a day <laughs> tanning bed for years. And I went and I did a few rounds of IPL, so in, intense pulse laser. I can't remember what it stands for. Okay. IPL, that got rid of most of the sun damage for me. And then I did Fraxel on top of that. Fraxel I do on my face like once a year. It's really good for some pigmentation, but also for texture. There's another one that I know people really like. I think it's Moxie for sun damage as well. But I think IPL... IPL can get the dark stuff and then Fraxel can kind of target the lighter stuff after the dark stuff comes off. So that's what I like to do. Got it. And is there down, what's the downtime for them, for the lasers? IPL is not bad. You'll have kind of like some sandpapery looking 
areas, but you know, you can go to work the next day. You can go to work right after. Like it's mm. not a crazy downtime. Fraxel, I think there are kind of varying degrees of intensity. The ones that I've done when I do my face, my chest, I'm pretty red day of, and then it's about five days of recovery, but not like sitting at home recovery. Although with that one, a few days in, you start to look like you are a panini, like you have a griddle on your face because of the pattern that they do it in. And you start to look like you had your face on a grill and it's kind of sandpapery, but you can put makeup over it. So it's not, Mm -hmm. not too bad. I've never done something like a CO2 where it's really red, a lot of flaking and and crisping Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Sounds (laughs) very appealing. (laughs) Yeah. I love this stuff though. I'm always like laser season. Like I go hard in laser season. Do you have a specific time of the year that's laser season? Yes. Usually starting in like December or if I'm going to do a December vacation, I'll do January. This year I haven't done any yet, but I'm actually doing IPL on Friday. Oh, awesome. Yes. <laughs> so let, report back. Report I will. Back. Yeah. <laughs> so Morpheus 8, uh, this is kind of the latest trending one. Mm-hmm. Like, what are your thoughts on that? So Morpheus, I don't know a ton about it, but I will say, like, I think that people tend to have this idea that Morpheus is like a facelift in a laser. Mm-hmm. I think that's how it's marketed a lot. I have a lot of friends in the industry. One of my best friends is a plastic surgeon. One of my other best friends is a nurse practitioner who does aesthetics. They said the degree of tightening is between three to 5%. Mm. So if three to 5% sounds good to you, go for it. I know that people love the reduction in the appearance of pores, fine lines. Like I think it can be really good for texture, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that it's like a panacea where it's just going to like lift everything and tighten everything. And again, like you do want to be careful with things like Morpheus, things like Profound, Ulthera, because they can affect the the fat Fat, underneath. And and that's something that you want to hold on to. Yeah, right, sure. (laughs) As you know, the podcast is called The Art of Being Well. At the end of the episodes, we have Your Art of Being Well. The first question that I have is, what's the worst tasting healthy food that you still eat because it's so good for you, but it still tastes freaking disgusting? Ooh. And for a flexitarian, you may not have one. (laughs) I'm like, is there anything (laughs) gross that I don't like? And you're cooking so such good foods. You may just make it more palatable. Yeah. Hmm. I must have something. I mean, I don't love the texture of chia pudding. I will say that, really? but I love it. I eat it like every day. I mean, okay. It's a little like gelatinous for me, okay. yeah. but I, the texture <laughs> I like thing. it. Yeah. How do you like spruce up the chia seed pudding? When you... It's all about the sprucing for that. So yeah. I'll usually do like, like a combo of chia and oats, and then I'll do some coconut yogurt. I'll do some flax seeds, or sometimes I'll do some nuts, like depending, because mm-hmm. I do my macadamia nuts. So I don't, I don't want to be like just eating nuts mm-hmm. all day because I have had reactions to that in the past. I'll do some fruit. It's all about the toppings. Once I give it a little bit of crunch, yeah, then it's definitely more palatable. I know that when we stop recording, I'm going to be like, this food. <laughs> I just can't think of it right I now. I mean, the answers that I've gotten in the past are things like liver. Oh, people I, say liver. People say... I've never tried liver. I mean, aside yeah. from like... Liver's number one on the pod. Mm-hmm. It's what people mm-hmm. say. Like raw liver? Or anyway, even the cooking it. They're like, yeah, we still eat it, but we don't like it. Interesting. Well, what about like foie gras? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I went to a tasting menu a few weeks ago and we had foie gras and I was like, I don't know that I can eat this anymore. Like, I just feel so bad. Yeah, right. 
Totally. <laughs> what, what are two supplements, if any, but if there are, what are the two supplements that have been the biggest improvers or things you've noticed the most difference from? Magnesium, hands down. When I started incorporating magnesium, I felt like I found a missing puzzle piece almost. I mean, it was that profound wow. for me. And I know that supplements aren't always like that. I mean, yeah. I've tried a million supplements that mm-hmm. don't seem to do anything, but magnesium before bed really made a difference for me just in kind of my ability to relax. I think I do have a really good nighttime routine, but it helped me to stay asleep all night. I think just feel more rested helps with anxiety and just that feeling of being kind of like agitated and tense. Mm -hmm. I feel like it helped with my digestion, like just across the board, muscles, like everything. It just felt like... Any specific type of magnesium? I like the Symbiotica Magnesium Mm L-threonate. And then I also love NED Magnesium. Mm -hmm. They're mellow, which I think is three types of magnesium. So I love that. And then I would say L-theanine. Yeah. L-theanine is like my... Favorite. Some parasympathetic supporters there for yes. your nervous yeah, system. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell? I run a little anxious. <laughs> but yeah, L-theanine, especially if I can take it like around the time that I meditate, it's great. Right. I love it. Now, I mean, you mentioned the night. You said I have a pretty good nighttime routine. Now everybody's mm-hmm. ears are ringing. And oh. what, I want to have a routine. So what's your nighttime so, routine? So I like to go to bed early. So that's great. I get off my phone. I usually have no problem getting off my phone by like, six or seven. I'll do my skincare. Sometimes I'll take a bath or take a hot shower. And then I get in bed, turn off the light. I have this amber reading light that was such a game changer for me because I'm so sensitive. Like I don't want to, I can't watch TV before Mm -hmm. bed because the blue light. I'm like, how did I used to do drugs and get up the next day and be fine? I can't even watch TV before bed now, (laughs) but I turn off the lights and I have this amber light and it just helps Again, my nervous system, I think, to kind of come down really helps me to naturally get tired. I'll take my magnesium or I'll have like a magnesium latte. Ned also has like a Mm -hmm. chai magnesium latte. I don't know if you've tried it. It's good. And that's pretty much it. I love it. Simple but effective. Yes. I always say like my day starts at night. Like my next day starts at night. If I don't get a good night's sleep, things are not. That's that's golden right there. Your mm -hmm. day starts at night because that's true for us humans mm-hmm. that are listening to the podcast. Yeah. So what are, what's the weird, <laughs> I want to know your answer here. What's your, what's the weirdest thing you've done for your wellness that you're willing to admit on a podcast? Mm-hmm. And I know weird is subjective. Everybody mm-hmm. that I have on the podcast is like super wellnessy. So it's like mm-hmm. to them, it's not weird, but <laughs> maybe to their friends and family that aren't part of our cult, like mm-hmm. what would you say? I don't know that I've, yeah, I'm like, I don't know that anything I've done is weird. I actually did an episode on like the weird things people do for wellness and some of them were really out there. Trying to think if there's anything like really weird. I think to anybody who's not into it, I'm sure the cold plunging and the sauna Mm -hmm. and the red light, those things might seem kind of weird. You still do them now? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. What's your routine with those? So I'm trying to get back into the cold plunge Mm -hmm. again. Nervous system really (laughs) helps me, especially when I'm feeling like really overwhelmed. Things are crazy. It kind of just, I feel like it just kind of shocks me out of the anxiety in the morning. And it's like, oh, I've done something really hard and everything else is like a little bit easier compared to that. Mm -hmm. So I like to do that. I am currently looking for saunas for my house, but I try to do it a few times a week. Light, I haven't done in a while, but if I'm, I'm dealing with something. I have a place that I go and I'll do the red light. Mm-hmm. 
I know that I have some weird stuff. Again, I'm going to text you after and be like, this is my weird food and this is my weird wellness <laughs> habit. No, those are, the, I, hey, any answer that comes first, I don't give you these questions beforehand. So whatever comes to mind. Do you know what Enneagram you are by chance? Like a personality type? No. No one, when I ask that question, nobody knows. I've done the quizzes, but I don't know. And Marshall, who, who edits all the podcasts for me, no one knows the answer. Really? Yeah. Marshall's a three. What's a three? I didn't know that, Marshall. Mar- uh, that's like a str- uh, achiever. Yeah, I was going to oh. say perfectionist, but it's, yeah, achiever. Uh-huh. That's, have, what, that's what my son is. That's what you are too? Yeah, my son's in the studio What too. are you? I'm a five, which what is, is a five? researcher. Oh, that which tracks. makes sense. <laughs> that tracks 100%. <laughs> what is a book that you've read in the past year? It could be fiction or nonfiction that's got you thinking in a fresh new way. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm working on The Emperor of All Maladies right now. Have you read that? I haven't. What's it about? The author is Siddhartha something, Mukherjee. He's a, I want to say researcher, MD. It was written a long time ago, but it's basically about the history of cancer. Mm. But it's written like a novel. Like it really grips you as though like the cancer is the character. And I have a hard time reading nonfiction. I read probably a book a week fiction, but I've really wanted to read more nonfiction. And I just think that you learn so much that way, mm-hmm. but I have a hard time with it. This I'm not having a hard time with because it's really amazing. And it's a little, you know, a little tough. Uh, mm-hmm. So sometimes I don't read it right before bed because I don't want to have cancer dreams, mm-hmm. but it really is a beautiful book. So that one I loved. And then I'm trying to think what else. How about fiction? Anything lately? Fiction. fiction? What did I just read? I just read a Colleen Hoover book. I mean, I I do like brain candy sometimes at the end of the day because I can just get lost. So anything like kind of beach reedy, like Mm -hmm. anything like that. Sometimes I'll go for like Jonathan Franzen, but I have to be in the mood, you know. What was the last book I just read? I can't remember the name of it, but it was Colleen Hoover. (laughs) Got it. And you're sort of a bi-coastal girl, right? You spend time in LA. You have, you spend some time on the East Coast. What's your favorite New York restaurant, favorite LA restaurant, respectively, and what do you order at both places? I'll start with LA. My favorite LA restaurant is Cafe Delfini. This is a random little Italian restaurant on West Channel Road in Santa Monica, across from Giorgio Baldi, which everybody knows. It's just amazing Italian food. Like, so good, romantic, quaint little vibe. It's where I had my first date with my husband. It's where we went when we got engaged. It's like our special little place. So now I've told everybody (laughs) where it is, but they have an amazing seafood pasta and you can get it with like quinoa pasta or you can get it with zucchini noodles. So you can do all your wellnessy things with that. So that is my favorite. And then I have like obviously Air One and like my smoothie places. Yeah. And in New... What do you get at Air One? What's your Air One So... What do I get at Erewhon? I usually just get groceries. I'm not, or like mm-hmm. hot bar. But again, after my food poisoning, I'm like cooking yeah. all my own stuff. But they do have really good overnight oats, vegan overnight oats made with coconut yogurt. So that's really good. I love their machacado smoothie. If I'm going to do a smoothie or the pitaya smoothie, that's good. What else from there? They have good like salads and all, everything at Erewhon is good. And then my favorite New York restaurant. That's a tough one. I love Palma. It's where I got married. Again, little Italian restaurant, in case you can't tell, my favorite kind of food. <laughs> I love St. Ambrose. What else? Via Carota. I don't know. I don't really have a favorite. And then Lifetime Foods, another grocery store. 
I've never been there. So good on Sixth Avenue. Okay. Amazing, amazing kind of like a mini air one. I have to check it out. I'll yes. be there in a few weeks. <laughs> My friend, this has been such a great conversation. Thank Where can you. people go to listen to your podcast, learn about all the amazing things you're doing? So I would say home base is on Instagram at Ariel Lori. From there, they can find my podcast, The Blonde Files Podcast, also on Dear Media. I'm also on TikTok. <laughs> I also have my website, ariellaurie.com, that has a lot of great wellness articles and fashion and beauty and all of those things. But Instagram is still home base for now. I love it. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.